With that being said, we are in part three this morning of a four-part sermon series called The Bible Doesn't Say That. So week number one, we looked at the cultural misbelief that above all else, God wants everyone happy. See, unfortunately, the Bible doesn't say that. Week two, we looked at the thing that so many people wrongly believe, and that is that God will never give you more than you can handle. And the truth is, God never said that. The Bible doesn't say it either. Next week is the final week, and we're going to talk about the lie that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. So for those of you who know somebody that may not be sure about what they believe, this is the perfect week to bring them, and I promise you it will build your faith in a significant way. Now today what we're going to look at is a very dangerous lie and something that has serious consequences. And so it's going to be a little bit heavy today. I'm warning you. The message is going to be a little bit heavy. But I I wanted to begin it in a little bit of a light way. So is that fair enough? Can I have your participation this morning? So here's what I want you to do and I need everyone participating. So it's not going to be fun without you, right? So look at the person sitting next to you, left, right, even if it's empty. Look behind you, look in front of you. All right, look all around you. Right. So what I want you to do is this. At the count of three, I want you to point at the person who looks like the biggest sinner. Are you ready? One, two, three. Very good. I must be teaching the Bible really, really, really well to you. That is good. You are a truthful sinner. See, look, it's kind of awkward just to point at someone and say, you're the biggest sinner. Because in reality, there is something the Bible calls an unpardonable sin. And in culture today, people can argue that the unpardonable Cultural sin is to call someone a sinner. In, cultural, in culture today, it is totally unacceptable to say what anyone else does is a sin. Which leads us to the cultural misbelief that I want to talk about today. You'll hear it all the time. Maybe you've said it. Maybe you believe it. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone. Doesn't matter what I do. It's not your business. Doesn't matter what I do as long as I don't hurt anyone. You see, God never said that, and the Bible doesn't say that. So today I want to dive into the reality of what Scripture teaches us about our behavior. Now, to walk into a very serious subject, I want us to take a moment and reflect a little bit. If you think back to the time that the Lord Jesus lived, what I want you to do is I want you to try to guess at what you believe was the biggest cultural value just think reflect for a moment and this is totally up for the bait but i couldn't necessarily prove this but i can make a very strong argument that the biggest cultural value during the time of jesus's life was justice an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth you do something wrong you deserve to be penalized for that now if i ask that same question today If I ask us what is the biggest cultural value of our world today, you could make a very, very 
powerful and strong argument that the biggest cultural value in our world today is tolerance. I can make a strong argument in that case. What's interesting is this. Even the definition of tolerance has massively changed over the past decade or so. Tolerance used to mean that people have equal value. In other words, we're going to value people. Today, though, tolerance has evolved to mean that all ideas and all behaviors have equal value. Even the definition of tolerance has changed so much so in our culture that it is wrong and unacceptable to ever say that someone's behavior is wrong or that it is sinful. In fact, culturally, we've watered down and sanitized what otherwise would be sinful terms, and we've given them more acceptable phrases in our culture. For example, if we just look at the category of sexual, sexual sin, let's look at what we call these things today. So instead of telling us, instead of saying we're looking at pornography, we say, oh, that's adult entertainment, because it sounds so much more acceptable to us. We don't say somebody committed adultery because that is way too harsh. Instead, they say they had an affair. It doesn't sound nearly as bad, right? We're not going to call premarital sex a sin in our culture today because, oh, in fact, we don't call it premarital sex. We're going to call it just fooling around because everybody fools around. So we've taken what once was wrong and have changed the way we describe it because in our culture today, the unpartable sin is almost say, hey, don't ever tell somebody that's wrong. Besides, it's none of your business. I can do whatever I want as long as I'm not hurting everybody. Now let me tell you something. You see this even in the news, right? When they're interviewing someone in the news today, you will see politicians and commentators go on the news and instead of saying that person lied they'll come out and they'll say well that was uh, an untruth an untruth they can't even say they're a liar they lied because we are so afraid of devastatingly called sin i mean let me tell you even the liberal media the liberal media will refuse to say that the conservative media is lying. They're saying untruths. It's just untruth. We sanitize everything. Now what we need to recognize is that sin is very real. And sin has dramatic earthly consequences. And potentially damning eternal consequences. So today what I want to do is I want to look at three cultural misbeliefs about sin. And I want to look at what the Bible really says. So if you're taking notes, the very first thing is this. It is very common in our world for people to believe, number one, that I am not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. You're not a bad person. All over the world, we're not bad people. I mean, I'm not a bad person. I make some mistakes, but I'm not a bad person. Here's the reality. That is simply not true. We are bad people that occasionally do good things. In fact, John said it this way in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. That if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and truth is not in us now if we compare ourselves to other people we may be tempted to say hey i'm not really that bad why because you could always find someone much worse you are an angel compared to hitler 
chances are on one side or the other, you may be sitting next to a really bad person right now. I'm better than them. I'm not as bad. But here's the thing. Other people are not the standard that we need to be compared to. When we compare ourselves to a holy, perfect, eternal God, we are horrible, filthy sinners. We're all bad people. There's an evangelist out there. His name is Ray Comfort, and he actually goes to people on the street. So I'm just going to ask you some questions today just to help you understand how bad you are. Are you ready? How many of you have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. All right. Thank you so much. You can just put them down. Anybody who didn't raise their hand, you are a liar just by not raising your hand. How many of you have ever stolen something? All right, yep. It may be when I was younger, but yeah. All right, hands down. How many of you have ever looked lustfully at somebody? Yeah. All right, come on now. I saw you, Sister Anne, looking at Captain America when we showed him in the church. Come on. I mean, come on. <laughs> Here, the Bible says if if, gee, if you look lustfully at someone, then Jesus says we've actually committed adultery in our hearts. So what did we just say when we raised our hands? You're saying you're a lying, thieving adulterer at heart. Welcome to Risen King Church. We're here to make you feel better about yourself. Okay, so the point is we're not good people. We are sinful at our core. In fact, Scripture teaches us this. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says there is no one righteous not even one you're not i'm not we're all sinful in the eyes of god the second cultural misbelief about sin is this and this is very dangerous all sin is the same and you're going to hear this all the time and many people probably believe this who are you to judge me what i'm doing is no worse than what you're doing all sin is the same Here's the thing. The Bible doesn't say that. What we need to understand, and please hear me, the Bible doesn't teach that all sin is the same. Now, don't miss this. All unforgiven sin does lead to eternal death, meaning hell, period. All unforgiven sin leads to eternal death, but not all sin is the same. In fact, Paul said this. He said this to the Romans in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. He said, for the wages of sin is it's death that means any type of sin little sin big sin whatever kind of sin any type of unforgiven sin leads to death but the good news is but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord i'll give you a perfect example are you ready i was driving to work one morning and i had to turn onto a highway okay I misjudged the speed of an approaching car and so i turned into the lane when i really probably should have let him go by so you know i kind of gave the the sign of you know my bad i'm i'm sorry and he gave me the you know uh, the universal sign of you suck (laughs) so my foot hit the accelerator when he did that to him and i wanted to catch up to that guy i always like to see people who wrong me like right in the face i want them to look me right in the face because it's too easy to do things to people when you're not looking them right in the face so he shot me the finger well that's a sin but if he shot me with a gun that's a different type of sin 
Both will keep you out of heaven if you are not forgiven. But both are not equal in terms of consequences. All sin is not the same. But all unforgiven sin separates you from God. But all sin is not the same. In fact, if you're taking notes, we need to recognize that how we live influences at least three things. How we live, first of all, influences our consequences on earth, right? If you're a blessing to other people, they're more likely to be a blessing to you. If you're sinful, there are consequences. But again, on earth, all the consequences on earth are not the same. There are also different consequences in heaven. How we live influences our rewards in heaven. So we have to recognize that God rewards certain godly behaviors in heaven. And there are rewards in heaven eternally for how we live and what we do or what we don't do on earth. The third thing that scripture heavily implies is that how we live actually influences our punishment in hell as well. How we live to some degree or another, and obviously we don't know the details of how that specifically works, but let me show you a couple of different verses. I'm gonna, uh, let's go to Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 20, verse 47. The Pharisees devour widows' houses. In other words, they're taking money for them. They're not allowing them to pay their houses. They're ripping these things for them. And for a show, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. So God evidently hates this type of hypocrisy. Scripture says these guys will be punished and they'll be punished more severely. In other words, it implies that there might be less severe punishment for some people in actions and there might be more severe punishment for others. Let's go to John 19 verse 11. Jesus speaking to Pontius Pilate. This is Jesus' conversation with Pontius Pilate. He said, therefore, the one who handed me over to you is what? Guilty of a greater sin. Implying that there is a lesser sin and there is a greater sin. And when you look at the category of sexual sin, Paul pulls off to the side here and he says this about sexual sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, run from sexual sin. Run from it. Why? He says, because no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one. In other words, there are different consequences to this sin than there would be to others. He says, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And don't you know your body was purchased by the shed blood of Jesus. So flee from sexual sin. Now, in other sinful circumstances and behaviors, the Bible talks about fighting against these things. Or resist these things. But not this one. The Apostle Paul is really clear. Don't try to fight. Don't try to resist. Run, Forrest, run. Because this one will impact you at a very, very deep, personal, and significant way. Let me tell you how big this will impact you. Health professionals in the state of Arizona and in multiple states all across this country are declaring a health emergency because of pornography. Because of the effects that it has on an individual's psyche and on their body doesn't matter what I do as long as I don't hurt anyone. You see, the, the Bible doesn't say that. How we live, what we do matters on earth. 
It matters in eternity. Misperception number one is I'm not a bad person. Yes, you are. You're a bad person. I'm a bad person. We're all sinful in the eyes of a holy God. Number two, misperception number two, all sin is the same. Actually, that's not true. All unforgiven sin does separate us from God and eternal consequences. But there are certain sins on this earth that will have a bigger impact on our lives on earth. And evidently in eternity, that's true as well. The third big cultural lie that so many people believe is, since I've done it, I I should just continue doing it. This lie consumes our lives. It's consumed my life. I've done drugs. Might as well do it again. I cheated. I didn't get caught. It seemed to make me feel good. Might as well do it again. I've already done it once, so I might as well just keep on doing it. Evidently, a couple thousand years ago, that problem was just as real as it was today because the Apostle Paul asked a very pressing and relevant question in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Romans 6, verse 1. He said, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? In other words, hey, if God is going to forgive us anyway, shouldn't I just keep on sinning? Should we just keep on sinning so that grace can abound should we keep on sitting because god will just forgive us anyway and he says of course not guys you're so much smarter than that you're better than that of course not he says hey since we have died to sin how can we continue to live in it in other words jesus died for us we came to him and because of our faith in him our sin nature no longer has power over us We now have the power of Jesus. Why would we continue to go back into that which hurts the heart of God, hurts our own lives, and has the potential to hurt so many people around us? Should we continue to keep on sinning because God will forgive us anyway? Of course not. He says, you should know better than that. God has something so much better for you. Since I've already done it, I should keep on doing it. Let's go into some deeper stuff today. Spiritual maturity... Is not about how much you know. It is about how much we obey. Spiritual maturity isn't just about having more knowledge, but it's about having more fruit. Spiritual maturity isn't just learning. It's letting the Holy Spirit take over and live through you. If you love Jesus, you obey Him. Spiritual maturity is not just knowledge. It's being transformed by the grace of God. So to go deep, yes, we go deep, but we let the fruit of the Spirit, we let the Holy Spirit live through us. It is more than just knowledge. It's more fruits. It's letting the Holy Spirit reign and rule through us. The problem is most Christians in our culture today are educated beyond their level of obedience. Let that sink in. Most of us don't need to know more. We need to apply what we already know. We need to let God take the truth that he has shown us and let it settle into our lives and to be set free from the sin that continues to entangle, the sin that continues to hold us back. Well, I've already done it. I might as well keep on doing it. I mean, it's a tragedy how many people call themselves followers of Jesus and consistently walk back into the same sin and rationalize it and justify it and say it's not that big of a deal. Who are you to judge me? Should we go on sinning? No. 
By no means. Since we died to sin, how can we live for it any longer? Here's what's so scary. Is when you're continuing in it and you don't even realize it. I'm going to argue all day long. The most miserable people in the world are not non-Christians. The most miserable people in the world are not non-Christians. The most miserable people in the world are Christians who continue to live in sin. The most miserable people in the world are Christians who know the freedom that is available to them. Who know God's standard and intentionally disobey God. So the most miserable people in the world are those who know there is something better. But continue to reject the will, the way, and the purpose of God. The last thing I want to do is stand up here like some self-righteous person. And make you believe that I have it all together. But I just want to tell you right now, if you're not aware of sin, chances are that there is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more he reveals the impurity in your life. The closer I get to him, the more I realize how much is wrong with me. I'm always, and we should always be at a stage of confessing sin. Not because we need to do it so that God would love us, because he already loves you. There's nothing that you could do to make him love you more. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you less. We do it because we love him. And we don't want to do things which are displeasing to him. I don't want to do anything that's dishonorable to my wife. I don't want to do anything that hurts the name of Christ. I don't want to do anything that lets people doubt. And yet because of my bent towards sin, I continue to struggle. But God's grace is more powerful. His spirit, the spirit that I have dwelling within me, is the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And so what's in me is greater than the pull of the world. See, the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to the light, the more you recognize how much darkness there is in your life. So I don't want you to go around today feeling guilty, horrible, but here's what you need to recognize. Sin is progressive. Sin grows, and sin grows best in the dark when you keep it quiet. It's best when you confess it, when you bring it to light, when you bring it to the light of Jesus who can set you free. Some of you right now, all I did before coming up here is is pray that maybe I can't get into your mind, I can't get into your life, but I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in a loving way. That you would sense that there is something better because sin is progressive. You cheat one time, you're going to cheat again. You look at pornography one time, guess what? You get sucked in and you want it more because it is progressive. You lie a little bit and suddenly you start lying more and more and more. How do I know it? It's my life. Sin is progressive. It'll take you further than you want to go and it'll cost you much more than you ever want to pay. Some of you right now, you're going to say, well, that, that's not a big deal. But it, it, is, it is a big deal. The moment that you think it's not, I want to tell you, it's because it's costing you right now and you don't realize it. How is it costing you? If you're a follower of Jesus and you continue to live in sin, you will lose intimacy with God because sin and holiness and the holiness of a righteous God cannot stay together. Suddenly you will not be as sensitive to God's voice as you once were. And your heart starts to harden. Suddenly the distance between hearing from God and the distance between sinning and repenting begin 
to grow. Listen to me if you ever wondered how a Christian can walk away from faith when they believe things with such deep and such powerful convictions. This is how it happens. The distance in between repentance, repentance, and living a holy life and hearing from God will grow. And you'll become desensitized to the voice of the Holy Spirit that attempts to convict you of your sin. But you see, when you go to God and you say, oh Lord, I've sinned. God, I want to confess my sin to you. The distance between repentance and sin becomes shorter and shorter. And you become sensitive to a forgiving God. And you will ask God to give you the power to not do it next time. And when the distance becomes shorter and shorter, suddenly you start the process of becoming sanctified. And your mind begins to become conformed to the mind of Christ. And suddenly you start to look like Jesus. You start to act like Jesus. You start to live like Jesus. And it's not that you're trying. It's that the Spirit of God is so powerfully and deeply within you. But here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus is a friend of sitters. Suddenly, as a sinner, you'll see a need for a Savior. And suddenly you recognize that Jesus didn't come for healthy people. He came for the sick people. And that is the best news ever. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. We looked at this verse last week briefly. But this is what Scripture says. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you are tempted, he will also provide you a way out so that you can endure it. Here's what I want you to understand. It doesn't matter what you're trapped in. It doesn't matter how long you've been there. It doesn't matter if you think you could never overcome it. God always gives you a way out. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the way out. He sets you free. Some of you, you need to recognize you're trapped in it. You step out of that sin and you step into Jesus. You step in his grace and you step out of bondage. You step into his power and you step out of the snare. You step into the love, the power, and the transforming goodness of our Lord Jesus. And when you do... It is Jesus who makes the way. Because there is always a way out of sin. And I want to talk to someone right now who you've rationalized your sin. You've thought, I I just simply can't get out. But you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. There is a way through the Lord Jesus. The reality is sin does cost us. But Jesus is bigger than our sin. And we looked at this verse in 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. That if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But let's go to that next verse. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God will not let you be tempted more than than you can bear. He will always give you a way out. So when cultural says it doesn't matter that what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone, recognize that that is a satanic lie 
from the pit of hell. That sin is the greatest enemy to intimacy with God. And Jesus is the best friend of sinners. That's why we're here today because we are all sinners in need of God's grace. We run to Jesus, the friend of sinners, who comes to set us free. Amen? Let's pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know that this is a strong, heavy message, but I'm believing that God's Spirit is, is going to move powerfully and deeply in your heart and that God is going to convict you and you're going to see yourself for what you really are. We are dirty and filthy, but God cleanses us. He cleans us. His grace, His righteousness comes over us. So Father, I pray that by your power, your Holy Spirit will speak to your church. And God, I thank you in advance that there are those who maybe for months or years they've been trapped. But God, I thank you that you're faithful and you always give us a way out. Father, I thank you in advance for those who are just getting even closer to the Lord Jesus. For those that you're just exposing the impurities, the darkness in our life. But God, by your power, you're conforming us into the the image of your son Lord Jesus and we thank you for that God bring bring about Lord Jesus a cleansing in our lives a moment of confessing would you just take a moment right where you are would you just begin to confess to the Lord you don't need to confess to me because I can't forgive you of your sins but if you just take a moment would you just begin to just confess to the Lord expose those dirty aspects of your life life to the light of Christ and allow him to transform your life so that you don't have to continue to to live that way I'm telling you sin makes me so sick I become so depressed after a few moments of enjoyment it makes me sick in the pit of my stomach I believe that there's freedom though for you in God's house that God will provide freedom to you so would you just confess that Lord Father thank you for your humble people who are crying out to you God who are confessing their sins to a holy and righteous God we're believing you'll cleanse us Lord Jesus this morning Amen